0: Hi, this is Michael from The Intersection. Now for each of our episodes, we'll be following up the first segment with an interview with an expert on the topic. Our special guest is musician and composer Kina Wilkins. She has done some extraordinary collaborations with refugees held in detention. One of those collaborations, the 2021 album Set Me Free, recorded with Iranian poet Jalal Mahamidi, is one of the best Australian releases of the last few years. We started our interview by asking Kina how this project started.
1: Well, for a long time, I've been a passionate um, refugee supporter, um, and I've kind of been working, I guess, on the fringes, like volunteering for Amnesty International and various refugee advocacy groups around Sydney. But then it was um, at the beginning of COVID, where because I mean, I'm a, I'm a musician and I'm also a teacher, so mm-hmm. usually I'm I've also got twins, so usually I'm super busy. But then at the beginning of COVID, um, suddenly you know, no gigs, and suddenly um, everyone you know, everyone basically had no projects on or, you know, heavily delayed projects. And I was actually looking for something to work on to kind of occupy myself with. And then um, this uh, poet called Jalal Mahamidi posted some of his poetry and art on a refugee advocacy page on Facebook. And it just really spoke to me straight away. I just thought, wow, that is so powerful And I contacted him and I said, hey, I really like your poetry. I'd love to, well, the initial plan was I said, I'd love to turn it into an opera. And he goes, oh, wow, thank you. And then as we kind of got chatting, I realised, I couldn't believe it to start with, but I realised, oh, my goodness, this is actually his story. He was communicating on Facebook via his detention cell. So he'd been in detention for nine years, including six years on Nauru, the infamous Nauru. And so in total, he'd been in detention for nine years, even though he had committed no crimes, and he had never been charged by the Australian government. I realized, wow, this is from the horse's mouth. So there's lots of reasons I decided to take on this project. Firstly, I believe he's very talented. Secondly, I wanted to raise awareness. And thirdly, I wanted like our voices together to create something new. And um, by this point, we were talking quite regularly and I was trying to help him in lots of different ways because a lot of them are just obviously in incredibly desperate situations because they, yeah. they've been told they will never get out of prison. They're in mm-hmm. indefinite detention. So, he, he, you know, he was very, very mentally not well. So then uh, I just kind of started thinking, you know, his voice is quite naturally musical. and And I thought, how about we just record his voice speaking the poems? And we had a little jam together, like he was speaking his poems and I was playing music, improvising around him. And I just thought, you know what, this works really well. And um, that's kind of how the whole idea came about. And then because we were getting a little bit of attention for it as I was speaking about it to my friends and stuff, I thought, why not involve more musicians? Because you know, as you know, the more musicians are involved in a project, the more people are gonna talk about it. So basically by the end of a few months, there was 19 musicians involved from all over Australia. They would improvise tracks in their, from their homes, sent them in. I had pieced it together with Jalal's voice. Now I recorded his poets, him speaking 12 of his poems via Zoom from his prison cell. So we had to get it in between, like the guards were coming by and stuff like that. And we had to stop and he, we had to wait for him to have total privacy. We, so it took quite a long time, but we did it because he's actually sharing a room at all times with, well, obviously he's out, he's out now, which is fantastic. But he's um he was sharing a room with three other people. So you know, privacy was a was a really big was a really big problem and getting getting the, the quiet time to do that was was challenging. But um we did it. And then we had a big album launch in Marrickville. So this is when he was in detention, and we sold out um Lazy Bones. There was about 150 people there. The head of Amnesty International spoke at the event, and uh we got everyone to write letters to the then minister. Alex Hawke, Karen Andrews, Home Affairs Minister, and Immigration Minister Alex Hawke, and Scott Morrison. So people were emailing all of those people. Two weeks later, he was released. So it was absolutely incredible. And I got lots of really positive attention from ABC, from Sydney Morning Herald. Uh, I'd really pushed all of my contacts to kind of raise awareness of, 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 of the situation really. And also, I think the musicians who contributed to it uh, really put their heart and soul into the improvisations. Now, I played flute and piano. I did one solo flute piece, one solo piano piece, and then a bunch of I played flute on a bunch of other pe- pieces as well. But together, it was 12 tracks and 19 musicians. And I pieced it all together on my on my computer. And then I also got a professional sound engineer, Matt Stewart, to kind of fine tune it to make it actually sound good, which was great. And uh, so, yeah, so that's it how certainly it certainly
0: does. Started. It's a beautifully produced record.
1: It's, Thank yeah. you so much. We got some great reviews. We got some yeah. great reviews from New York, Scotland, Europe, and it all helps to raise awareness of, of the plight. And what I'm relieved about is that it does feel like public opinion is gradually shifting.
0: Am I correct in thinking that Jalal's detention was because he came here via boat at the time correct. that the laws changed over?
1: Correct. So he had friends that came just a few months before him that were in detention for two weeks and then were let out. And obviously they're they're given terrible visas. I mean, they're always given terrible visas where they're not allowed Mm. to study. And a lot of sometimes times they're not allowed access to Medicare. So, you know, the government puts them in situations where it's very hard for them to better themselves, but, you know, they make a red hot go of it. And a lot of them become very successful and, you know, massive contributors to society and all that. So he had friends that came just a few months before, got straight through, even relatives. Um, but then when he was actually on the boat from Indonesia to Australia, that's when the law changed. A lot of them were very shocked. They, they really, like, because I got to know, I mean, through the whole project with Jalal, I got to know a lot of other people that were in the prison with him in Brisbane. So he was one of the Medivac refugees. So when I was speaking to him, he was actually in the Brisbane Detention Center. But, um, so I got to know a, few, a bunch of them there and yeah. a lot. Uh, it was a big shock the the whole the whole process. And uh, as I said, they were they've been in prison for nine years. A lot of them never been charged, never been put on trial. And yet, it was because they arrived by boat. Now, if they arrived by plane, they get they get straight through yeah. into the community. And really, all you can all you can really kind of surmise from that is racism, because the ones that come by boat generally tend to come from a different part of the world.
0: From memory, that was sort of the dying days of the Rudd government as well. So there was perhaps oh. a little bit of electioneering involved.
1: 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so through that process, uh, obviously I was like absolutely euphoric when he got released two mm. weeks after. And then I thought, I have to find others as well <laughs> <laughs> to try to help raise the profile of because, you know, maybe I can help in some way. It was very exciting. So then... In the following months, I collaborated with a further five talented refugees, a lot of them that are left are men, there was only like one woman left on Nauru and 90 men, something like that, Uh, partially because they, you know, the Australian government arbitrarily releases them without explaining why. And I think they know that there tends to be a little bit more sympathy for, for women and children, so they tend to let up those, them first. So there was just these very unlucky bunch of men left.
0: From listening to Send Me Free, it was obvious at times where Jalal is basically whispering, which
1: yeah.
0: at first struck me that, okay, he's trying to avoid being noticed or he's in a oh. crowded room, et cetera. Um, that also brings a real intensity to those tracks, As soon as I hear that, it's just you you suddenly you're almost transported and you know what's happening at the time, the position he's in.
1: Look, that's right. We experimented with a lot of different ways of him talking. Yeah, I, I think it's very effective. I think whispering in general is very, very effective, but also the way he whispers, you know, it's very much from the heart.
0: So as a listener, I mean, that's intense. But how was it for you at times as a composer when you would get these poems, you've got some very heavy material at times and knowing that you've got to sit there and write and arrange music for it how do you personally deal with that
1: when i first started talking to him i was crying every day yeah i was honestly i was crying i was in floods of tears every day i just couldn't believe what what had happened to him it was really his whole life you know i mean as soon as they're a refugee you know uh, they've been heavily persecuted, and basically the whole country has been bullying them. Right, right from when he was born. So, so his 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 family was subject to land seizures in Iran, where his whole family had lived for generations. Suddenly, the Iranian government said, "We've found oil here. You have to leave." And they basically paid them a pittance for their whole house because they were um, Arab Awazi, which were a minority um, group. Then going to Indonesia, getting on the boat in Indonesia. You know, um, high chance of Pretty high chance of drowning, really, but of yeah. course, they feel it's, it's worth it. And then, uh, not to mention the treatment on Nauru was absolutely horrific. It was absolutely shocking the way that he was treated, all of them, the way that all of them were treated. I mean, they have basically tiny, ineffectual hospitals that basically just give out Panadol, regular beatings from locals because there's no attempt by the Australian government to integrate the community, and there's a lot of you know clashes a lot of them have been beaten up at least at least a few times and it so you know sometimes they have very, very bad head wounds and, and and all kinds of stuff. Um and 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 there's no there's no doctor to see them or it takes a very long time to get to get a doctor to try and figure out what's what's wrong with them. So yeah, there, there's a lot of really, you know, severe neglect going on there. So he got released eighteen months ago and um he's just recently gone to Canada, actually, because he was part of a refugee program application process to get into Canada because they have a community sponsorship scheme. So, so the way the system works is they have to find five Canadian citizens who are happy to sponsor that person, help them set up their life and help them find accommodation, work, help them set up a bank account and all that. Uh, and they, they basically put it on the responsibility of the, of the Canadian citizens, but there's a whole kind of network called the Northern Lights Foundation, which is set up in Canada, which is very, very effective at setting getting, getting all this set up. So I guess, um, I guess he, you know, he's trying to kind of start his life completely again there. You know, even when they're let out of detention here, they're given these terrible visas, which, which really limits them. Like it pushes them into underclass work, really. And so, you know, and some of them are, are mentally functional and they're able to to exist like that. But some of them um, have very, very bad PTSD. Well, most of them have PTSD um, and anxiety, depression, and all that kind of stuff. And it's very scary when they first get out because the other problem is because they're given no warning of when they're gonna get out, it's a massive shock when they do. In the case of Jalal, suddenly he was released and he had um, an hour to say goodbye to all these people that he'd been living with for two years. And what a lot of them talk about is how they haven't crossed a road for years, stuff like that so and hearing Australian voices, they're like, "Oh no, are they gonna you know put me in handcuffs because that that's how they're transported is actually sometimes in the middle of the night in handcuffs is how they're they're taken from a to b b to avoid the protesters at the airports so it's a really shocking um existence they've had up to this point, so Yeah, it's very challenging when they come out, you know. So it's very challenging for them.
0: Kina, can you tell us some more about your other collaborations with refugees?
1: I've also collaborated with um, Mehdi Ali, who was a refugee in detention for nine years, who ended up getting quite famous because uh, he was in the same hotel as Djokovic was held.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. About 15
1: months ago, Yeah. Yeah. So he was only 16 when he when he arrived on Nauru and, and now he's and then at, at the time that we did the collaboration he was 23. Uh 20, 24, anyway. And um he um he was in this he was held in the same detention center as Djokovic. And because the entire international media was on this detention center, which was in the middle of Melbourne, all the refugees there started hanging massive banners everywhere saying, do you realize there's refugees in here that have been mm. held here for nine years with no yeah. trial, no charge, you know, we're in indefinite detention. And then suddenly and actually Medhi was really one of the only ones that was brave enough to actually speak to media because a lot of them were worried that there'd be some kind of punishment, which there often is from the Australian guards. So they had a very real fear that 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 they would like throw away the key and never let them out if they spoke to the media about it. But Mehdi just thought, like that, like this has been too much now. And he actually, he played a little bit of a dangerous game, but because he was so brave and because he was so good at speaking, he actually trumped everyone because he, um, he ended up having like 50 or 60 interviews all over Australia. He ended up having someone manage his interview schedule like, it was BBC, it was Brazil, it was Italy, it was China, it was Russia today, it was Al Jazeera. Like, it, literally, like, every two hours, he was on some massive, you know, TV broad, uh, station. And then he was released six weeks later, uh, four weeks later, with his cousin.
0: Again, timing.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so and
0: it's, is Medhi a, so a writer?
1: He, he's actually... a brilliant musician you should definitely look him up but okay. he's also a poet and I, I i did the same thing as i did with jalal i recorded him speaking his poem which is called brown nails and i wrote a piano piece to it and we were going to do more collaborations but then um he got released so, so, and he, him and his him and his cousin actually their application came through uh to be accepted into america now they actually had been accepted years before that but the Australian government hadn't released them. So suddenly they were released after all this media attention.
0: Sorry, they, they'd already been accepted into America yeah. and the Australian yeah. government wouldn't let them go. <laughs> yeah, um,
1: yeah. That's what they do because they want it to... Oh, it's shocking. They want it to be a deterrent to other people from those communities. So they yeah. Adnan, who is Mehdi's cousin, and Mehdi had been accepted like I think at least two years before they kept getting stonewalled when they said, well, when exactly are we going? Because, you know, certainly not the, the Americans are happy to have us any time. Mm. Yeah, no, but they do that all the time. So, yeah, and it's really, really disgusting human behaviour, the way these people are treated.
0: And what are some of the other collaborations you've been working on?
1: Yeah, so... um. I'll just talk about two of, the, two of the other ones. So one of them is this guy called Halal Udin, who is a um, Bangladeshi refugee who was held on Manus Island. He has a bit of a complicated story, but basically he ended up having a relationship and marriage to a local Manus lady, and they had a child. And um, he wanted to live with her. It was kind of like an open, open prison they were in before that. And then the authorities found out, and they, they deported him. But then he wanted to be back with his son, so he tried to get back. And they threw him straight in jail. They threw they threw him straight into Bumana prison, which is widely believed to be one of the worst prisons in the world. So they have stone beds, and he he hadn't seen his son in two years. But um, he used to be a professional cook, and when he was in the prison, he uh, he had he had the special job of being a cook for the whole prison, uh, because the food they were given was just a little bit of rice and fish every day. that's the only food they were given. So he kind of set up this kind of community where he would get donations from Australians and buy lots of fresh fruit and vegetables and then cook food for all 60 prisoners. It was like this kind of like fusion cuisine. And he basically started writing down all of his recipes. And he's going to, his Amnesty International are going to be publishing a book of his recipes later this year. So it's, it's gonna be called A Spicy Life and his name is Halal Uddin. Now he also sings and um, he he wrote a song and recorded it just on his phone, sent it to me. Basically what I've done is I've improvised a flute line around it and I've slightly rearranged some of it. So his name is Halal Uddin. Now he has also been released. It, it was a bit of a shocking kind of situation as well with him in the end because he was in Burmana prison they were waiting for this court case, but then COVID happened and then the judge died, something like that. Anyway, he was waiting for three years in Burmana prison, waiting for a verdict to see if he could just get out of Burmana prison, even into the normal Manus Island prison hmm. um, and see his son for three years. And eventually, unfortunately, the verdict was no. And he got deported again then because he is you know he is a refugee in his own community he's blacklisted by authorities and so they had to go straight into hiding i don't think he'd have a problem with me saying all this and uh, then eventually he got out and um now he just just literally like three weeks ago he got accepted into new zealand
0: and do you see this advocacy for yourself that you're doing or this musical advocacy as well that's something you're continuing with
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I I guess number one for me is uh, I'm a professional composer and musician, and I run a lot of projects. And for me, the number one thing is, do you have an interesting story? For me, I feel like I can write the best music and I can have the best projects when it's an interesting, engaging story. All these people have that straight away. So like from an artistic perspective, You've got all the bones there of something really quite epic, you know. Uh, and then, of course, the also it raises awareness of a very important cause, you know, massive injustice. So, all those reasons. Now, there's another poet I was collaborating with, also who was held in Brisbane Detention Centre, called Mohammed Maleki. Now, he uh, for many years he's had a lot of his poetry published. He's won a couple of awards as well while he was on Manus. He's been published by Verity La. He also had a book launch in October, I think, last year. And he's actually had a few events all around Brisbane. And um, so I've used one of his poems for a a piece that I was commissioned to write for a cellist in Spain. And um, she's gonna be performing it all around Spain next year. And that's um, based on his poem, Exit. So she's gonna be performing the piece and speaking the poem at the same time. And, um, you know, through that, she has to speak about what the poem's about at all of her concerts. Mm. When I spoke about it, she couldn't believe this was happening in a country like Australia. I said, well, keep it quiet, don't they? They try to, they try to keep it quiet. Um, You know, Spain has its own issues with refugees, but she said nothing like that. Mm. (laughs) They don't put them in jail. Then uh, I'm also working on an opera, which I've already written. I've actually, I already wrote an opera um, five years ago with um somebody called Mikhail Imielsky. And um it's about funnily enough, this is even before I met these refugees, it's about a um human refugee leaving planet Earth looking for a <laughs> mm. <laughs> it's a sci-fi yeah. sci-fi opera. And then um after after reading Muhammad's work, I thought me and Mikhail were talking, we thought why not kind of put all this together why not like make this really epic like from the horse's mouth let's get this let's let's get the real thing here the real deal so we we're what we're doing is we're reworking it and putting muhammad's poetry in, and he's got some absolutely beautiful epic poetry as well
0: kina where can we go online to find out more about these artists who you're working with
1: Thank you for asking that. Uh, So my website is keynowilkins.com. That's K-E-Y-N-A-W-I-L-K-I-N-S.com. And I have um, a page on that called Refugee Collaborations. As I mentioned, I've collaborated with six refugees altogether. I highly recommend looking up individually um, the poet and artist Jalal Mahamidi. He is on social media as well. So that's J-A-L-A-L. M-A-H-A-M-E-D-E. Uh, I also recommend looking up Mehdi Ali. That's M-E-H-D-I Ali. He's on um, Instagram and Twitter. Um, I highly recommend watching out for Halal Rudin's cookbook brought out by Amnesty International, which we hopefully publish later this year. And finally, um, I want to lead us into the next track, which is called Silence Lands by Mohammed Maleki. That is o h a. M-M-A-D-M-A-L-E-K-I. Now he is an Iranian poet who was held on Manus Island and in Australian detention centers for a total of nine years. And uh, he's had um, a number of his poems published. He's currently um, been released. He's living in Brisbane on a very, very terrible visa. And um, he suffered this really quite astonishing injustice from the Australian government. And it's a real honor to for him to trust me to set his work to music. Now this one you're about to hear, it's called Silence Lands. Now this one was recorded via Zoom from his prison cell. I did write a piano piece to it. It's also on YouTube with a lot of um, images of him and um, a bit more about his story. So please feel free to look it up. I'm also doing the opera collaboration with him and also the collaboration with the cellist in Spain with using his work. So feel free to look it up. Thank you so much.
2: I have thoughts about my sanity. Not everyone can bear this much. They store all my feelings. There is no wisdom left in my mind. I am just a working dead man. I yelled for help so many times. No one on this earth took my hand. Now I see many mad things and imagine how the world would look if it collapsed. Perhaps it would be good for everything to return to the past for nothing to be seen on the earth or in the sky. It would feel so good to be a child again and go back to my mother's womb. For there to be no sign of me for me never to have gone crazy in this place. What if the woolen jacket I am wearing unraveled and begins to fall apart? Or the butterfly flies back to its cocoon, or the autumn leaf girls giddy and return to its branch on that old tree. What if the tree becomes a seed in the soil? I sound crazy speaking this way. It's the outcome of being detained for nine years. What if that seed returned to its source and fell back to the river mouth? If that river received back up into its stream? What if the only the sun and the moon remain in the sky? If I saw even the sun, the river, and watched it disappear into a space, witness the moon implode upon itself, all things returning their starting place how beautiful to leave colorless world everywhere silent and still the earth would become for a moment free of even one miscarriage but what do you make of my vision am I sad or mad
0: And that was Silence Land by Keena Wilkins along with Mohamed Maleki and Hassam Safai. Thank you to Kina Wilkins for joining us. And thank you for listening to The Intersection. My name is Michael Fisher, production by Rob Margenburg. We'd like to give special thanks to Eastside Radio 89.7 FM. You can contact us via email at theintersection at eastsidefm.org. And don't forget to follow The Intersection on social media. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Just search The Intersection underscore Eastside FM. The Intersection was recorded on Gadigal land. Sovereignty never ceded.